We're hearing today about the Irish and the Argentine. The fifth largest Irish community in the world is in the Argentine. And Irish migration to the Argentine ran between about 1830 and 1930, with the largest wave taking place between 1850 and 1870. And the modern Irish Argentine community is composed of some of their descendants estimated between a half million and a million. And Tom Ganley was the secretary of the Longford Westmead Argentines Association. Tom is here with me, and we're going to talk about a few things, one being sport, because we didn't hear about that yet today. And the other we're going to hear a little bit about is the Dresden affair. Tommy, thanks a million for coming along. Austin, thank you for inviting me in the first place, and good morning. Let's go with sport. Sport, hurling. The Irish brought hurling to Argentina. Yeah, well, the first record of hurling in Argentina is around 1887 or 88, which is only three or four years after the GEA was formed. Within a few years, they had four hurling clubs going. There was one in Buenos Aires, Palermo, Alagro, and another voluntary, which wasn't any specific location, a group of people. And they played for a number of years, from there right up to the advent of the First World War in 1914 or so. At that point, the availability of hurlies and the general economic conditions and priorities of the population and everything else meant that the hurling took a, a back seat for a few years, but it was resumed again around about 1920, and the four clubs kept their activities going. Uh, one of them was in Mercedes, which is about 120 kilometers outside of Buenos Aires City, and the other three were in the suburbs of the city. There are many theories about why they, and I, I remember meeting a man called Skelly and having a great chat with him on the train in Buenos Aires one evening about 15 years ago, and he was very adamant that it was all Perón's fault that hurling had to be abandoned after the Second World War. On the other hand, I've read some other assessments which may be a little bit more honest. Um, I think one of them was that the church and the politicians had got fed up of the sort of skullduggery and thuggery that prevailed in some of these <laughs> hurling games. <laughs> and I think, I, I think there was a, a sort of a ban put on it. Tell me, what I might find interesting is neither Longford nor Westmead would be great hurling counties. So I guess it's the Wexford people were the ones that were behind the hurling. But you, you mentioned there you were on the train. I know you've been to the Argentine on many, many visits, and that you connected with family out there as well. Uh, Just tell us a little about that. Well, uh, I suppose, to give you some context, when I was a child, my uncle often told me that there were possibly as many Irish Ganleys in Argentina as there are in Ireland, and that always fascinated me, and he also told me he he had been in correspondence with a man called Patricio Ganley, Patrick, Patrick Ganley, in Argentina for many years with Patrick. Of course, like us all, he died in due course, and Patrick had only one daughter, and she never got married. I don't have a succession there. It certainly had me very curious, and I always wanted to go, and I got the opportunity to go in 1994 when Pat Malley, a great enthusiast in Mullingar, organized the first ever, the first ever tourist tour from Ireland to Argentina. Pat did it on a voluntary basis, and he invited me. That, this was 1994. The society, the Longford Mead Argentina Society, was formed in 1989. Pat Nally was one of the founder members. I was one of the early members as well. We've had up to 100 members here and there over the years, but at any one time there would probably be current membership of about 40 or 45 people. Pat decided he'd organise a tour to Argentina in 1994, and he did. He, he got it all together, did a great job, brought about 25 people, as far as I can recall, more or less what would fill a good-sized bus. We went down there in October of 1994 to have our eyes opened. I remember... Pat Nally, a guy with a great initiative, put this ad in the Southern Cross newspaper that a group of Irish people 
who mainly had connections in Argentina, would be visiting on this date. And he gave the address of the hotel that we were staying in. And the place was inundated with, with drop-in callers. For the week we were there, because we only stayed a week in the hotel, and then we dispersed around the country or went, went to visit other places. But for the week we were there, we a lot of drop-in callers. I particularly remember um, uh, two guys, with one, one man called Patrick Gandhi, who was a different Patrick Gandhi, called in to introduce himself to me. He was, he was big in rugby. Now, you mentioned you and I were big in rugby there in an earlier conversation. I don't think we were being kept at the time, but we weren't really very big in rugby. But this Patrick Gandhi was... This Patrick Ganley was actually the ex-president of the Argentina Rugby Federation. He was he was uh, the, had been ex and had been here in Ireland with the international team on tour. He's a very nice man, and we had a great conversation. He introduced me to Argentine whiskey, which is very very palatable. <laughs> and another one that came in to see us that first evening in the hotel was a Father Fideus Rush. Father Rush was either a Palatine or a Passionist. I cannot remember exactly. I think he was a Palatine. He got talking to me and he said, where are you from? And I said, I'm from uh, a place near uh, Throne. And he said, yes, but where where are you from? And I said, I'm from a place called Germany. Oh, he said, my family were from that city too. <laughs> so I had to explain to Father Fidelius Rush that the city of Germany had one shop, one school, one church and one post office. <laughs> it was a little bit taken aback. <laughs> anyway, they're the early memories. So we were one of the things we were introduced fairly promptly then was the hurling club in, in Buenos Aires. But of course, as I said to you, hurling was actually abandoned shortly after the Second World War, and I think it was actually the church really that put the put the pressure on because of the as I said the skullduggery. They merged the four clubs actually the four clubs that had been playing hurling merged into the one hurling club. And they started playing hockey and rugby. Hockey and rugby then became the sports of the Argentine, the, the Buenos Aires Hurling Club. I'm going to move you along fairly quickly because that gives a little okay. bit of that. But the one thing I do want to cover as well is the Dresden affair. Because that nearly, that put the kibosh on Irish immigration to Ar- the Argentine. Yes, and uh, I have to admit I don't know an awful lot about it, Austin. But um, certainly it was, it was a case of, uh, I think, extortion, or no, not quite extortion, but abuse of privilege, where people cajoled into, into going to, to on this ship. They were shortchanged in the service of us, and they were shortchanged, and they were, they were told that they were guaranteed jobs at the other end and everything else. Their money was taken from them. And when the shipload, and I think there were some casualties along the way too, but when the shipload arrived in the pier in Buenos Aires anyway, there was no work for them, there was, no, no, there was nobody really to meet them and they were more or less abandoned so some of them managed to get back and some of them weren't even able weren't even able to work their way home and I think in fact most of them were not even able to work their way home and I think the Archbishop of Cashel came out and spoke against it he did yes he, but he was outraged of course and of course there was a lot of outrage in Ireland because it was clearly I think it was a, a fraud on the on the um, on the customers. That was the Archbishop of Thomas Croke, which would have been Croke Park, as I understand it. I think so. I think it's the same man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because that was around the time. Yeah. That was around the time that the GA was set up. That was I think 1889. Yeah. And the GA set up in 1885 or thereabouts. And he basically said that an Irish man should never set their foot in Argentina again. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. And of course, that was the end of the substantial migration. Naturally enough, there were for years and on end, there were still people going to Argentina, mostly because they knew somebody else there, they had relatives there, they had friends there, or whatever. But they, the people that were going purely on spec probably finished with the Dresden. All right, yeah. What I want to wrap up then with is the music in your own family, because in the Irish traditional music archives, 
there is a Gandhi, a whole Gandhi collection of uh, traditional, what would be Irish sheet music, but yet it all yeah. comes from the Argentine. Yeah, this is the this is the Patrick Gandhi that my uncle told me he used to write letters with exchange correspondence with in the old days. I didn't realise until fairly recent years he was quite an accomplished musician. He, he wrote, as you said, some music. I'm not a connoisseur of music, so I'm not really able to judge. And I hadn't actually heard it played, Justin, to be honest. So, um, and when I went in and I looked at the archives, as you had mentioned to me previously, that an awful lot of the tunes were named after parishes and place names around Longford, Westmead. Yes, there was a mention that there was a bell in a cliffy reel or whatever it was, maybe a hornpipe or a reel. So there was a Baskin one, a Baskin. Those places are townlands. Baskin is in Germania and bell in a cliffy. Baskin is actually where I was born. Bell in a cliffy is where my grandmother was born, uh, strangely enough, over in Tuberclare Parish. So, and I noticed um, one for Baltrasna and Farna and Moat. Well, yeah. And they're on the outskirts of Moat. Yes, yeah. they're in yeah. those three places in the Oscars of most. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. ITMA.ie is the um, the site for the music. The Irish community managed one of the things that I remember the lady who came to visit me, a Gandhi lady who came to visit me, telling me was that the Irish community stuck to themselves, they married to themselves, they married their own. When they were youngsters, they were not allowed to speak Spanish in the kitchen. They could speak Spanish in the yard, and they could speak Spanish at school and on the street. But once they came into the house, they had to speak English. Right. And this was the rule with a lot of the a lot of, a lot of the houses in the Irish community, and thereby they managed to preserve the English language and keep right. their and, and which they all realised was a big advantage in the commercial world. I mean, British influence in insurance companies and banks and train companies, railway companies. The British influence in the English language was a very important aspect in in the commercial world. So, um, that's just something that I, I meant to touch on. And, and uh, Louis Delaney showed me the names in his family, the way they all stuck together. And there were six generations that he would, could go back, and there wasn't a Spanish or an Italian name in those six generations he went back. I was looking at them earlier. This is the names in Louis Delaney. Louis is a friend of mine, 90 years old. Rick guy was the administrator in the Southern Cross for years. The names in his family are Delaney, Conlon, Kearney, K-E-A-R-N-E-Y, O'Rourke, or O-U-R-K-E, Murphy, Duffy, Dylan, and Tracy. So that's 100% Irish, he reckons. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Tommy, we're going to have to wrap up, I'm afraid. Uh, time okay. is always the enemy. Thanks yeah. a million for taking the time. Okay, Boston, thank you.